Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mr. North and South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. Not only will it set a new standard for excellence, but as Leonard Goldenson promised in his NAB speech in Washington last year, it will be a departure from all existing patterns. Already, the nation's press is greeting the project with enthusiasm, and I don't hesitate to call it 1967's most exciting program concept. Hello, cats and kittens. I'm Tom Gully, and welcome to the Tom Gully Show podcast. Just what the hell is the Tom Gully Show podcast? You might be asking yourself, well, and it's a damn fine question. Here's what it is. Every Monday through Friday, I do two webcasts, complete with interviews and all sorts of other stuff, and I take the very best of that 20 hours, and I boil it down into about an hour or so, and I add some archive material and some extra content, and, you know... That's what it is, and I make a podcast because I won't rest until every man, woman, and child on the face of this planet can listen to my interview with Chris Gore while taking a dump in an outhouse on a mountaintop in Kuala Lumpur. You know, or else the terrorists win. And speaking of Chris Gore, most of our Virgin Podcast Voyage will feature my interview with good friend Chris Gore. A uh, quick side story. The very first time I met Chris in person was at the Detroit airport. And Chris was going to pick me up because I was going to help him with a film he was working on. So I fly into the airport. Courtesy phone rings. Chris on the other side. That raspy, gravelly voice. Hey, I'll be there in a little while. I'm, I'm just now leaving. Okay, fine. And uh, I'm supposed to meet him at ground transportation. All the limo guys are standing there with little signs that say M. Jenkins, Unicorp, and various, you know, businessmen are going to be greeted. And uh, up pulls this, I think it was a Chevy Nova. A guy gets out, ponytail, long hair, glasses, and uh, a sign in his hand that said, Tom Gully, National Association of Lesbian Wheat Farmers. I still have that sign. After the break, our interview with the great Chris Gore. But first, meet our old pal, the Tom Gully Show Translator 3000. It takes the words that people say and translates them into what they really mean. Well, it's a revolutionary technology developed here in our labs, and it's only available to listeners of the Tom Gully Show podcast. Just like yourself. Enjoy. I am the Tom Gully Show podcast translator 3000. Translating newsmakers for humans. Translating Bristol Palin. Um, regardless of what I did personally, I just... I just think that abstinence is the only way that you can effectively 100% foolproof way to prevent pregnancy. Translation. Here's how my special brand of abstinence works. 
First I find a muscle-bound simpleton. Then I let him pin my ankles behind my head and pound me like a veal cutlet, encouraging him to thrust his throbbing love sickle into my pulsating meat wallet. Over and over and over again, banging me like a screen door in a hurricane, filling my tampon tunnel with his man mustard. Then, later, believe it or not, I get $20,000 for giving a speech on abstinence. Kind of like a guy with one hand, getting $20,000 to talk about lawnmower safety. This has been the Tom Gully Show Podcast Translator 3000. Good day. If I only had one word to describe this new series, it would be excitement. The drama will be about people caught up in a critical moment of life and death and presented as realistically and creatively as possible. We're tremendously excited about it. We think you will be too. You're listening to The Tom Gully Show. And speaking of film, my first guest is an independent film icon, founder of Film Threat Magazine, self-described nerd, liberty, author, publisher, editor, producer, director, author again, because he writes lots of stuff, entrepreneur, impresario, raconteur, super genius, and the pioneer of the pocket beer. A guy who's actually let me sleep on his couch a few times. He's here from G4's Attack of the Show. Meet film expert extraordinaire, Chris Gore. Thanks, Tom. Uh, I, I appreciate that introduction. You forgot Coxman. Uh, I was going to let you say that yourself. <laughs> um, uh, I know that's a big part of, of the Chris Gore experience, one that I haven't experienced, but I, I've got some questions about that later. Sure. You do so much stuff that... You know, it's difficult to focus in on one thing, but I swear to God, in like four centuries, when archaeologists are shifting through the rubble of our civilization right now, I, I think the thing that you're going to be most noted for is the pocket beer. I'm fascinated by the pocket beer. How did the pocket beer come about and how did it start to catch on? Well, I, I first of all, great first question. I appreciate it. Um, I, I do tell my friends that I keep my career portfolio diversified between doing television and writing books and and um, other sort of ventures I'm in, and including the internet, websites, and whatnot. But but the pocket beer is something that I wanted to prove that I could create a meaningless and stupid trend, and I wanted to introduce that to the world as sort of just a, a main a word that then. Um, you could hear someone discuss in another state. I mean, where do stupid uh, terms come from? Where where do trends? I mean, it really is just someone introducing it. So uh, I, I had always sort of just, you know, just out of practicality, taken a beer, and normally I double fist because a lot of events I go to, so this is where the practical, if you want to talk about the invention of pocket beer, it became practical because I would go to a lot of Hollywood events that had an open bar, which open bar, the lines are generally incredibly long. And I would often go up and get, I would double fist or more if I could convince the guy like, hey, I've got my buddies, I wanna get them some drinks. And I may may even have been getting them some drinks. It was just practical to put it in my pocket and I'd put it in my back pocket or my front pocket. Then I started realizing that, hey, you know, with the advent of mobile devices and how mobile devices have become so you know, just a part of everyday life. Pocket beer affords the opportunity to, to drink hands-free, where you can just 
so holster your beer in your front pocket. There's something very kind of manly about it. And by holstering the beer, you're now free to text uh, or receive text message or receive naked photos of girls that you've met recently and you've maybe known for some time and you want to get to know them better. So, this, so it really was a practical thing. In addition, when you're at these events, the other advantage of having a pocket beer is it does draw the, draw the eye closer to the crotch. So when you're, let's say you're, you're maybe having a casual conversation with a woman, your arm goes down, you, 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 you know, take the beer out of the holster, your front pocket, take a sip, put the beer back down, it draws her eye down to that area, which to me is a not so subtle, not so subtle invitation. So, um, the pocket beer, I, I feel, and while I do know that there are a lot of women there that do pocket their beers, it's just not as practical. I, mean, I don't think that the, the pockets on a lot of women's jeans, are, are they're not wide enough to, to, to fit that beer. So I'm pretty proud of the fact that I tried to popular, I really tried to popularize this on Twitter by hashtag pocket beer and encouraging people to send me photos of their holstered beers, and the best one I would pick and send a prize. So uh, I did that, and now I will, you know, maybe once, every, once a week, every couple weeks, uh, throw out a pocket beer photo or something hashtag related to pocket beer. Now, how do I monetize this? I have no clue. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but, I'm, but I, I can say that it is one of my innovations that I'm proud of, and if it, if it becomes popular in the American lexicon and if Obama uses it in a speech, you know what? I hate Sarah Palin, and if she used pocket beer in a speech, I would I would consider that a, a victory, not the one I would be looking for, but uh, just the fact that pocket beer would begin to be used by regular folks. You know, if, I, if I'm remembered for it, great, but I really just want it to become popular like bacon and eggs. Do you ever invite a lady to grab your pocket beer. I would think that would be a, a, you know, a, another way. Because as you say, when they look at the pocket beer, they see you take a drink of it, it's almost breaking down a barrier mentally for them subconsciously. Like, oh, he took something from his groinal region and put it in his mouth. Why shouldn't I feel at ease doing that? Precisely. Yeah. yeah it, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that, that's exactly why this was created. It's, it's a way that, you know, when you're talking to girls, I always think I always think that look, I am not good with women. I'm just telling you right now. As much as like maybe <laughs> you've seen my Twitter and you see I am not great with women. The, the the thing is is that all most other dudes are awful. They don't know how to talk to women. So I stand out by being a guy that I'm not trying to be obvious. I'm not trying to ask them for their phone number. I'm not, you know, asking things that are rude or crossing a line. I'm just being a regular dude. I'm just being a regular dude. I happen to be drinking a beer that comes from my pocket. You know, mm -hmm. I, I will talk to them about things that uh, not only are of interest to them, but also of interest to me. You know, um, I want to hear about their shoe shopping. I want to hear about what, like, what sort of shoes they might be wearing later. Or maybe do they walk around without clothes and only shoes? You just don't know what you're... So, so the point is, is that my only success with women comes to the fact that most men are jerks and don't know how to talk to girls. And I was raised by women. 
You know, I was raised by women. You know, you hear, you hear some people say they were raised by wolves. I was raised by women because I came from, you know, a single parent home. Uh, parents got divorced at a young age. Had a sister. Uh, my mom had her aunts, and uh, uh, so had very strong women. And so I, I feel like I can get into the to the female mind. And if that helps me go other places, well, then so be it. I always felt like the guys that had lots of sisters, they, they always had that, that special chick language figured out. Oh, no. I, I, I pride myself I can speak chick. So, <laughs> um, and like I say, I, I don't consider myself a success. I consider myself in comparison to most men who are, you know, sexist and just kind of, for the most part, jerks. And they're just trying to get in a girl's pants, you know. For me, not that I'm not trying to do that, but the, the point is, is that, look, I'd rather, I, I, I initially just want to form a, a friendship, find some common ground. If it leads to somewhere naked, then, then that's just, maybe it was meant to be. So be it. Yeah. Yeah. Now the sale of film threat, it was kind of a, I, weirdly enough, it was a melancholy moment for myself because, you know, I knew you when you were very first starting it or shortly thereafter. And uh, I was imagining what it was like for you with the year kind of perspective. Have you, you know, has it changed the way you felt about it? Do you look back on it in any different way now that it's been a little time past? Um, I, no, I feel really good about it. First of all, um, at the Sundance Film Festival and I was really going there to do a book signing, um, not so much covering the film festival, but just really going to the book signing and then to announce publicly that after 25 years that I was going to shut down Film Threat and it's been a good run and thank you. You know, I didn't want to, um, you know, have it be something like, you know, I, I feel like Film Threat had its heyday in, in sort of the, the mid-90s, like with indie film kind of hitting a hype. Different sort of, had different successes later as a website only, but... I felt like, you know, I started this thing when I was a teenager and I was a kid in high school. It's been 25 years of doing it. I mean, how many people can say they've done something for 25 years? And, and I, feel like, um, I feel like Film Threat really provided this great service, but I feel like there's so, there are more media outlets covering movies than movies come out in a year. That's not a joke. Right. And I feel like at the time we were kind of this lone voice. Now there are many voices, and, and heck, someone could start a blog and be interesting, and be bigger than one of the top film websites if, if, they, if they're delivering interesting content, whether it be YouTube or Tumblr or, or just uh, WordPress, whatever, whatever way they're communicating. So I just felt like, you know, and, and for the last decade, frankly, film threat had been more of a burden as I've tried to transition my career into other things, i.e. making movies with my big fan independent movie, um, a television career, which over the last like, 10, 12 years, I, I've fell into initially, but, um, and I would almost say the same thing I said about, about pocket beer and women. It's like, I, it's not that I'm good on TV. It's that I think a lot of people that do the specific thing that I do may not be so great. So I kind of stand out at just being different because for the most part, I mostly care about being funny rather than, um, I don't consider myself a very good film reviewer. Um, I give myself three out of five stars. I had to <laughs> well, break myself. I, I see you as like the uh, the Gen X Gene Shalit. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> I love Gene Shalit, uh, who's I, I always love to sort of hacky uh, reviews um, filled with puns. I can quote one for you if you would like. Um, sure. Gene Shalit. Gene Shalit's review of RoboCop Two. 
This movie made me nuts and I wanted to bolt. <laughs>
let's see, I did this movie magazine. I started as a zine that was Xerox that then was a professional magazine that split off into two. That then I started a DVD distribution company, and then which we put out 30 movies. I let's see, I produced and co-wrote a movie that I put out and it was in theaters and picked up by Anchor Bay and you could buy it at Best Buy and, and I personally produced the DVD of it and all the extras on it and I don't know what makes me a film expert. I just think that, you know, as compared to other critics, I've tried to, I get bored doing one thing really easily so I like to branch off and do other kinds of projects and, and Film Threat was always sort of this great, I never really made any money with Film Threat but Film Threat was like this tentacles that it always provided opportunities because people loved it. Those opportunities turned into things that actually made money, like doing television and, and uh, other projects. But, but Film Threat itself was this thing that just sort of was a money-losing venture from the beginning and really about the passion uh, for indie film. Well, you know, uh, I think that the... Is that a long enough and detailed <laughs> answer? Because I could definitely talk more, Tom, if you want me to. Like, I'm happy to talk to you more about Film Threat. I could go on and on if you want me to. It's really up to you. I, I enjoy hearing about it. No, no. But I mean, this is why, uh, you know, I work with uh, Candace Bailey on Attack of the Show. And I hear people complain like, oh, she cuts you off when you're talking. Her job is to cut me off. Because <laughs> like a podcast where you and I can sit and talk for an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's no time limit. It's what? Digital space. And, uh, you know, are we interesting enough to keep listening to? I hope so. But yeah. television is different. It's structured. And I'm generally on for between four and a half and five and a half minutes a week. And I've got three DVDs to cover. Sometimes we do this segment that's a sort of offshoot called Rapid Fire, a part of DVDs Day, where I talk about, try to talk about 10 movies at least. I love that. In like 30 seconds. It's like a race every time. But um, so, uh, you know, Candace, her job is to cut me off. Her job is to keep me moving. Her job is to be a good TV host and to to move me along when I tend to ramble or go off in a million directions. And I will do that as evidenced by the first 20 minutes of this podcast. Well, you know, my, the, this, this particular show is how much I talk depends on who the guest is. If the guest was Shelly hack right now, I guarantee you, I would be doing a lot of talking. Right. Right. Okay. You know? And, uh, but you know, I do remember the very first issue of film threat that I saw a friend of mine from South Bend, Indiana, sent me a copy of it out of the blue, just out of the blue said, you're going to love this magazine. It was the James Dean cover. I think oh. that, uh, did Glenn do that or did Theakston do that cover? Uh, uh, that was Glenn Barr. That was Glenn Barr. And, uh, I opened the cover and my eyes were drawn instantly to the inside, you know, the masthead type thing where it said, and the first thing was hate mail, letters from our readers, fuck them. And I went, <laughs> I have to have, I, and I, it was electric. That magazine was electric. And the point that I'm trying to make is I think that that film threat attitude is what people fell in love with. I mean, the well, content was the content, but it had a definitive attitude about it. And I think that you have retained that through all the stuff that you have done. I think that's, that's a, a part of the Chris Gore when, when he's on TV or when he's doing, you know, grindcore or when you're at the consumer electronics, whatever you're doing, that same sort of half uh, court jester, half uh, Hunter S. Thompson type of a, a thing that you do is, is a part of that still. Well, it's something I, frankly, it's something I can't not do because it really is, it's just, that's just my personality was always, I mean, when I was in high school, which is like when I created Film Thread, I, I came up with the idea for Film Thread and I did a layout. I didn't really have any articles. I was just 
sort of developing this concept. I designed the logo and kind of planned it out. But the first issue didn't really come out till my first year of uh, college. But um, uh, it's just something where, like, you know, I would get really good grades in school. I mean, A's and B's. I was like, yeah, four A's, two B's. I'd always get, you know, it was a 3.5 average. I did well in high school. But I was in the office a lot for talking back to teachers, not for getting in fights or physical fights and stuff. I was playing jokes, talking back to teachers. I would, I would interrupt them and say, technically, that's actually not true. And then I would go, or I would question their logic. I mean, I was, a, I was as big a prick then as I am now. Um, <laughs> But I like to think I'm a prick for good, not evil. So um, I, I just the, to me that that anything that's phony or not just like any sort of thing that's not the truth bugs me. I, I really am just anything that's an injustice bugs me. It's just something that like ah, it just you know, and it's it, it's everything from uh, it spans the gamut of everything from like nerds being teased in school or still made fun of at Comic Con to uh, any racial injustice or injustice. With regard to sexual orientation, um, I mean, I'm really in support of gay marriage, and I really want to see that legalized, um, if only for the selfish reason, because I want to see a TV show called Groomzillas. Because <laughs> imagine the drama of two queens getting married. Um, I can't imagine it. I mean, uh, the women on Bridezillas are bad enough, but a, a two males getting married would be that would be my dream show i would love to see that so um i've always kind of been it's just my personality and and i really had given up doing television actually before g4 um because every experience i had with tv i was really kind of feeling it out i didn't know what to do and i'd never been on tv before and the first time i was on it i had to read teleprompter and i was like so the secret to reading a teleprompter is you read it but pretend you're not reading let me see if I can do that. And then I just did it the first time. So I, I had something of an affinity for it. Um, but That's the secret to stand up too, is to do your right. routine that you know by heart as if it's the first time you've ever said it. Uh, it's funny because I just started doing stand up and I feel like I've been doing a version of that. Like whenever I do panel discussions and whatnot, and I do, I've done panel discussions, I've done speaking engagements for God, like 15 years I've had a, a done college speaking tours and and whatnot. So I've done sort of, and I always work jokes into it. I just never thought of it as stand up per se, because a lot of times I'm trying to tell inspirational stories related to the film business um, mixed with truth so that people don't do stupid things like make an indie film uh, with their credit cards. So, um, but I've been doing kind of a version of what stand up is, but nothing in comparison to anyone who does it, especially for a living. And, and just recently started doing it saying, you know, I'm just going to take the funny parts of things I say my weird insights about stuff and just put it together into a good seven minute set, which was, which was actually fairly easy. Was it successful? I don't know. I mean, I've been testing it out. I'm trying to put together um, enough material. Um, well, I have enough material. It's a matter of whittling it down and, 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 and honing it to the, to the best stuff. I want to uh, put out a CD this year. So there'll be some sort of CD, but I'm sure I'll be, I'll be crucified like I've been with anything. Um, you know, that I try to do that's not what people think I'm supposed to do. Um, and, I, and that's why I admire people like Kevin Smith. Um, I don't think every movie Kevin Smith does is a home run, but I almost like Kevin personally more than I like his movies because um, I like his attitude. I like when he, I, I, his commentary on, on Cop Out is better than the movie. I mean, he's just, the guy's <laughs> hilarious. 
So I, I keep up, and, I, and I, I like the fact that I always applaud when someone does something successfully like that. I mean, he's he's doing a stand-up, but it's a different kind of version of stand-up where he's telling these stories. One of the best stories we Kevin Smith tells is he tells the story of uh, having sex with his wife for the first time. I can't do it justice, but I know it's on one of the DVDs um, of of his of his talks, and I'm sure he's he's brought it up in other formats. I would not speak for him, but it's a great story, among many others, like trying to, when he wrote the script for the Superman movie that never got made. Well, he's kind of like you in that he's very refreshingly uh, objective about his persona. Uh, he He's not, you know, I, I heard him talking one time about being fat, and he's like, well, yeah, that's true, I am, and I, I know this, and, you know, I have my own feelings about it, but I'm also extremely rich, and, uh, <laughs> you know, he... Yeah, you got a point there. Hey there, I love Tom Golly and I love to watch the Tom Golly show. So if you want to check it out, just give it a shout at TomGollyShow.com. You're listening to the Tom Golly Show. Ladies and gentlemen, the chief hope of our enemies is to divide the United States along racial and religious lines and thereby conquer us. Let's not spread prejudice. A divided America is a weak America. Through our behavior, we encourage the respect of our children and make them better neighbors to all races and religions. Remind them that being good neighbors has helped make our country great and kept her free. Thank you. Hello there, erogenous gentlemen. Are you having a little problem in the bedroom? Your libido is like a mighty redwood, but your schmeckle is like a weeping willow. Ah, trouble, booby, be a mensch. Get Hyman's erotic pills. Don't fall for this Viagra, all that mumbo-jumbo. Hyman's erotic pills have made it easy to be hard for over a hundred years. Made from a mysterious combination of concentrated prune juice, lux, and a schmear. Just take one pill, crush it up, sprinkle a little on some gefilte fish and keep bluey! You'll make with the stooping and the thrusting and the humping and the pumping! And it sounds like trying to remove your boot from a mud hole. This Casanova producing elixir has been a secret among the chosen people for centuries, so don't be putz, get some for your putz. Remember, when it comes to the stooping, there's nothing like Hyman's. Hyman's erotic pills. If erection persists for more than four hours, hey, you should be so lucky. Count your blessings. Call a few more girls, and when you're finished, call your mother. You're breaking a heart. And get a haircut. Would you like more Chris Gore? Well, that's easy. He's everywhere. He's got this brilliant concept for a podcast called Pod Crash with that Chris Gore. Now, Chris claims he's too lazy to do his own podcast, so he goes on other people's podcasts, just like this one, and then he brings their golden bounty back to his show. Ingenious, eh? 
Well, for all things Chris Gore, just go to thatchrisgore.com. That's thatchrisgore.com. It's just the second that. It's not that's that Chris. It's just thatchrisgore.com. So go to thatchrisgore.com. And if you do, he will treasure you forever. And if you like him on Twitter or Facebook, he will keep that like cherished in an old locket that he wears around his waist. What were the key what are the key differences between being very well-known writer, magazine publisher, editor, you know, you were extremely well-known in the independent film world and the film world and all of that before you became guy on TV. What are the differences in those two, you know, forms of fame if you will? Well, uh, it's weird. I mean, I was, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, like I, I was, uh, you know, I, the, the whole thing of doing, uh, the, the magazine brought me this sort of level of people who read the magazine kind of knew who I was. I, I'd throw pictures of myself in film thread. And, um, something I want to mention earlier is, uh, you know, film thread really, to me, if you read the old magazines, I think your memory of it is probably better than the magazine was. But if I look at, when I look at it now, I go, this is just the internet. It's the attitude of the internet in print form. That's all film threat was. When we did hate mail, that was me responding to haters and telling them to go fuck themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, when I look through it, it's like when you look at sort of our, our like getting drunk at a film festival, taking photos of a passed out Sean Penn under a tree at the Toronto Film Festival and, and writing funny captions. These are things that just happen on, on the internet every day. Um, our style of reviewing films where we would just sort of point out interesting aspects that that weren't necessarily a review, but we would, we would talk about themes running throughout films and things that, that were, I, I thought that sort of bold uh, uh, observations are just, it's just, it's just an internet meme, you know, it's, it's really film threat was kind of internet attitude before the internet. And when the internet happened, it just exploded because there's so many screens and it's so expensive to publish a magazine that, that, you know, a voice, a singular kind of voice that had the attitude that we had, Never, can never get out, but we were pariahs in Hollywood, especially when Larry Flint bought the magazine and owned it for five years, and I got the rights back. I mean, during that period, I mean, it was like, not only did our attitude piss people off, but now we were owned by this sleazeball, or supposed sleazeball, as seen from Hollywood, at least until they made that movie, and then he was more of a sleazeball in their eyes, but, <laughs> but you know, I, I was, I was I, I, it just, that attitude was not embraced. It was, it was shunned upon, and and it was so weird that the people could say the most cruel things about politicians and people and and, and um, investigative journalistic stories about about corporations and whatnot. You could make all these assertions, but you make any kind of assertion about someone in the entertainment business possibly going astray or doing something wrong, and you are just you know you're, you're crucified for it. I mean, we had no cooperation. Well, the cold fifty. Yeah, the frigid fifty. Which was our, our sort of answer to the Power 100 or the Hot 100 lists that were done by Premier Magazine or Entertainment Weekly. Our response was the Frigid 50, the coldest people in Hollywood. And these are people whose careers had got on skids, or maybe they were big, but they were just making really bad choices in terms of movies. So, yeah. Um, God, what was your original question? Well, it was just the difference between <laughs> being Mr. Oh, Super. Right. Yeah. Oh, how, how, yeah. But that, that was being, being, being a print magazine guy to a TV guy. Well, it was weird. The guy who actually got me involved in television was a guy named Mark Cronin, 
who did the Howard Stern Channel 9 show, and then he had done TV shows like Singled Out, and he had this show called The X Show, which was kind of like the man show, but it was a daily show. Um, it was like The View with guys, frankly. It was like four guys on a couch, and I was the movie entertainment guy. So I would come in uh, once a week and review films, but I basically was doing like a stand-up routine because I would just write jokes about the movies and, and make fun of them. So he, he liked, Mark Cronin liked my writing, and I came in, I did this one audition. I think the one and only time I actually auditioned to get a job in television, that is. It's uh, weird. So I, I went in, and I was really annoyed because at the time I was writing a book, and I, this was, you know, interrupting my schedule. And I went in and just like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Well, just tell us what you thought of Star Wars Episode One. Oh, here's what I thought. And I went on a rant where I described the movie as like having elements of awesome. Like, oh my God, Darth Maul, badass villain. He's got a double-sided lightsaber? That's incredible. Oh man, Obi-Wan Kenobi meets Anakin. They go back to Tatooine? There's R2-D2, it's great, it's the best stuff. But then there's stuff that's awful in the movie, like him, you know, Jar Jar. Yeah, see, I knew that Jar -Jar was coming. Stepping in poop. So it was kind of like having sex for the first time and you're finally inside a vagina and it feels amazing, and it's like, oh my God, this is the great, this is awesome, but then your mom is watching. So <laughs> it's simultaneously the best and worst experience, and, and that was basically what I said in this audition, and then I was like, all right, can I get out of here? Okay, great. And because I didn't care, and I didn't realize that you know actors are desperate to get jobs, and you, I, I, I didn't give a shit, um, they really wanted me badly. They, they, and so they, they signed me to this deal, and within six months of doing that, they said, we want to develop a show with you, which is how the new movie show kind of spun off. And every other job I've gotten after that in terms of television has just been someone knew me and whatnot. And like, we want to work with this guy. Now, um, I know you're too diplomatic to tell, you know, a tale out of school about a big Hollywood celebrity, but are there any dead ones that can't harm you now that you can tell a story I'm, about? I'm trying to think if I have any, I, I mean, I really don't. I mean, you know, like I, when I was doing print film in the nineties, I was so deathly afraid of celebrities. I, I would avoid doing interviews with them if I possibly could. I just didn't want to meet them. I, I would actually get nervous and my heart racing. I would, I would start to perspire. I would just get like, I, I would be flustered in terms of like, I couldn't talk. Once I started doing TV, I realized like, oh, they're more nervous to meet me than I am to meet them. These people are really in, incredibly insecure and I didn't care, which, which you know, makes it easy when I deal with any kind of celebrity to get some kind of rapport going whenever I've had to do interviews and whatnot, or if I even just run into any at a party. But I don't really have any, like, like ones that come to mind. And I always, I also tend to block out anything negative. You know? well, like, but did, why, did, why do you get all flummoxy around Angelina Jolie? Oh, now that in particular, well, I'll tell you precisely why. And I'm glad you asked that. That's a completely different thing. She is the sexiest woman I've ever met in my life. She exudes sex. And I'm a guy that I kind of, I, I like sex. I got to be honest with you. I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm telling you something you don't know. But I, <laughs> I, I uh, every time I've met her, it's it's. My phone's <laughs> ringing in the background in case you can't hear that. But oh anyway. well, I can't hear it. That's at all. nice. Yeah. But I, um, I, uh, in terms of Angelina, I just got really nervous when so I walked in, and she just exudes. You can feel it. It's a vibe, you know. Like, you know, you get you get you get signals from girls when you meet them. There's a vibe with her that is just like. She just oozes it. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And she's really the only person I really feel like she is like old school star. She is a movie star in all, 
all sense of what that word means. I don't in, know. In the Grace Kelly that. sort of yeah. uh, the old yeah. school right. Lauren Bacallish. Right. And too nice, too nice, like to everyone. And when I got all flustered, she was like understanding, like it's okay. And I'm sure this happens to her. And when I was doing this junket, it was actually, I was in Paris for a junket uh, for the tourist and interviewing Angelina and um, two guys who are gay actually also interviewed her that day. And they said, we would switch teams to be with her. <laughs> she basically was turning guys from gay to liking vagina. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Ask a gay man, ask a gay man how much they like cock. That's a, that's like going, you know, first gear to fourth in a Mack truck. It's just not an easy shift or to reverse to make, you know, and you know what I think about the, I wrote this essay that frankly, I think should be required reading called would everyone please leave the gays alone. And it's got numerous points of brilliance, like all my writing does. But the one thing that I, I just boil it down to is unless my personal, unique, specific, and special me genitalia is involved, I really don't care. I mean, I'm not against, you know, I'm against rape and all forms of criminal sex, but but unless my junk is involved, you can do whatever you want with yours. Take a cheese grater to it, whatever you feel like. I, I just, I don't understand people that go, I don't like what those other people are doing with their body parts to each other of their own volition. I don't, I don't, I've never understood that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I don't know. I did, again. It's for me the injustice thing. It's just I've I, that's that's always pissed me off, and I I, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, but Angelina, ever- Angelina was. Uh, I mean, yeah. So, so recently, yes, she made me extremely nervous. There's nothing to tell other than she is uh, the most amazing woman. And the, here's the bad part about it. that was the second time that happened to me. The first time it happened to me was another film, Salt, and they ended up cutting it out. This time. They left it in and, and made fun of me. But, um, you know, what can I say? I mean, I do celebrity interviews all the time. No big deal. When it comes to her, it's like, and I know I'm going to interview her again. I know it's going to happen again. I'm going to interview her. And and it'll be a trilogy of, of, of errors on that. But, yeah, no, she, she's, she was amazing. You're listening to The Tom Gully Show. Ah, who can forget the thrill of seeing the timeless classic, Gone with the Wind. But how many of us have seen the rarely shown prequel to that film, Gone with the Slight Breeze? Through an exclusive arrangement with the major film companies, the Tom Gully Show podcast is able to bring you the prequels to some of the greatest films of all time. In this special collection, you'll see prequels like to slightly injure a mockingbird. Some like it lukewarm. Raiders of the easy-to-find Ark. Room temperature hand Luke. Dance lessons with wolves. The noisiness of the lambs. An American werewolf at LaGuardia. Twelve mildly disgruntled men. And the Texas Weed Eater Massacre. The Hollywood Classic Prequel Collection. It's just one of the incredible benefits of listening to the Tom Gully Show podcast. Remember, this special offer won't last forever. So act now and get a free ice crusher. Now the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly. 
So if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly, but sincerely, to turn off your radio now. This is Arch Obler. Some call it the root of all evil, and some call it the flower of all good. Ordinary people call it money. That's what our story is about tonight, money. $3,000 worth. Wow, it's been almost 45 minutes and I haven't even mentioned my Monday through Friday programs. Sheesh, what a stoop. You can hear the daily nothing, that's the weird world in under 30 minutes. We shoot for 20, but we guarantee 30 of bizarre news stories that, you know, morally safer simply will not be covering. And that's on 6 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. And then there's the Tom Gully Show. That's where I interview folks like Chris Gore or MIT super genius Jay Silver or renowned author Ed Robertson or Manson family expert Brian Davis. And that's on at 8 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. But, but now, back to more Chris Gore. Known throughout Europe as the father of the pocket beer. Have you ever walked out of a film screening? Walked out of a film screening? Um, God, I'm trying to think. The worst part is, I, I think the last time was when I was a little kid and I saw a movie, The Sunshine Boys. I, I remember just thinking it was boring. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to think, I don't think I've ever really walked out only because normally when I'm seeing a movie too, not that I haven't wanted to, believe me, I have wanted to, but I feel there's a fear. There's a couple fears. One fear is that someone's going to see me, you know, like, like someone, you know, if I'm at a screening and it's someone, I know people there, if I'm at a film festival, they're going to see me actually leave the screening. And then secondly, it's a fear that I w- that the movie could redeem itself in the end. And, and that I really want to, in order to be able to speak intelligently about the film, I want to be able to have seen the movie. I want to be able to see the, the entire thing up to the first credit. I mean, I'll bolt out when that first credit pops up and it's over. But um, I don't really, I don't walk out of movies. I, I want, believe me, I want to, but it's those two things keeping me in the seat. What's the never fail whale? What's the never fail way to tell that a movie is going to blow dog? It's going to be really bad, other than produced by Joel Schumacher. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, gosh, to me, it's. I mean, this is sort of less true with Hollywood movies, um, but it's really within that first five ten minutes. Um, and normally, when it comes to indie movies, it's just using non actors that just are just terrible. You're not engaged in their story. Um, you know, I, I, for the most part, Hollywood movies, they kind of have it down to a science, but I kind of feel they have less of an excuse to fail because they have so many professionals. They do have the SAG actors working for them. You know, the script has gone through at least a few people, uh, before it actually, someone decided to invest money in it. So, um, I mean, just kind of a, to me, it, 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 it's, it's 
what a filmmaker needs to do is set up an intent, you know, whether it's this is going to be campy, this is going to be this, and they set up whatever your expectation is. And the expectation is often set up before you even sit down because it's been set up by the marketing. So the filmmakers now have to live up to that marketing and not only that, create a tone that is going to uh, carry through the film that will keep you interested and they'll either succeed at what they tell you they're setting out to do or they'll fail by their own by their own actions or because the, the marketing set up an expectation that that really that, that it, it could not have fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So um, that sounds like a really complex answer, but uh, uh, you know, I really sort of take everything like with a, a like a blank sheet of paper, fresh. I, I I like to sit down and and like and really for me, I'm just looking for a new experience. I feel like too much of, especially when you see the movie posters and the marketing, it's like I've seen that movie when it was called this movie. Yeah. You know, so everything is marketed in a similar way. You know, like floating heads in clouds. You've seen that poster before. So I like anything that's innovative, anything that's new, anything that is like a, a fresh take. Um, you know, show me something I haven't seen, tell it in an interesting and new way. You have control over the whole universe, but only to change one scene from one movie. What scene do you change and how do you change it? Uh, Han Solo shoots first. That's easy. <laughs> that was an easy question. It's funny that you would say that. But I mean, to me, uh, those prequels really are are just, it's just a debacle what George Lucas decided to do and, and to ruin those films. It actually ruins the character of Han Solo because you don't expect him to come back and save Luke during the battle at the Death Star and make it possible for him to take that winning shot and blow up the Death Star and save the day. And for Lucas to go back and change Han Solo's character and soften him in light of being a single dad and all that is just, it's just stupid. I feel like you have to make the work and stand by it and what he should have done with those prequels is just really thought out that story and, and brought in other people. You know, I really just feel like Lucas doesn't have respect for the writer. It's not something that you can, you can fix with a software program or, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, I don't know. I'm in this documentary called the people versus George Lucas and you can see more rants like the one I'm having now by other people that are way more qualified and better to speak to that. But I, to me, the prequels were, that's just something, that's, to me, there's so many examples of what you should not do in a movie. And going back, when it comes to the prequels or the special, the special editions, I mean, it's like, he's basically ruined, he's made the movies worse. I look back, and now I don't look back fondly on my memories of Star Wars. I really wish I could erase the prequels and the special editions from my brain and, and sort of keep those original memories. Well, there's a, there's a kind of a conceit or an arrogance in the whole way the thing played out I in the marketing of it. And what was there? 3000 licensed products for, it's like, that's not a movie anymore. It's, it's something right. else. I don't know what it is. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not a movie. It's a, it's a commercial enterprise with a well, film. It's, it's like Gary Kurtz said recently, where he said, basically George Lucas is a toy maker that makes movies to sell his toys. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you open Variety one morning, yes. and you learn that one of the major studios has announced a blockbuster project. The money's no object. It's got all the bells and whistles, you know, any, any, the biggest directors attached to it. And the title of the new film is The Adventures of Chris Gore's Penis. <laughs> Who stars and what's the plot like? Well, um, here's, here's, I'm going to go against type. Okay, I'm going to go against type. I think that Patton Oswalt should play me in, in my life story. I think it should be Patton Oswalt. 
one wouldn't think he's he's a little shorter than me. He's he's a little chubby. Uh, uh, not to say that I haven't had my chubby years. Maybe he gets all De Niro and gets into type and he has to lose a little weight. Did you oh, read the uh, article yeah, that he wrote? Physical match isn't important. I, I, I think that he, he should, because I think that, um, I think that it would make the character more sympathetic um, uh, to be someone like Patton. I loved him in Big Fan. Yeah, he was incredible. I, I didn't completely love the movie, but I thought the character he created was so incredible when he's, practicing his response his responses and what he's going to say before he gets on the radio all the interaction with his mom i mean it's just uh, there's just something i uh, man i don't know i just um i i just uh, a big fan of Patton and what he does and and the, the sad part was I, he i had seen the comedians of comedy at um and the sarah silverman uh documentary jesus's magic at south by southwest and I really was not aware of who Patton Oswalt was. He came up and introduced himself to me as being a huge fan of Film Thread. Cut to years later that he's this comedian where I can't get enough of what he does. And um, just, uh, you know, just anything. I love his insights about stuff. I feel like, I feel like we're almost too close in, in the way that we, we both see the world. Um, and the funny thing about Patton, funny thing about Patton, Patton Oswalt had actually um, done reviews under... Um, uh, uh, a pseudonym for Ain't It Cool News. And the reviews were amazing. I mean, his stuff, kind of forget what the, what the username was, but um, Patton did, did stuff. So I, the guy knows Phil. Um, uh, Demon so Cock. Yeah. Demon yeah. Cock. Was I, it Demon Cock? Yeah. The, no, is that the name? Oh, that's great. Demon Cock is one of his uh, bits that he does about, you know, he goes, you know, living in L.A. is like, you know, experiencing a demon cock every day. And you think it's the worst thing on earth until you go to Vegas and the demon cock is dipped in spangles and, uh, <laughs> you know, all this other stuff. He's, it's, he's really funny. He wrote the most amazing article I read just a couple months ago about how cheaply today's generation can experience the things that it took you and I, for instance, I remember when I learned about Herschel Gordon Lewis and Blood Feast. Man, I had to search video stores for a year and a half, praying to God that that one of them would have ten thousand, uh, sorry, two thousand maniacs, and you know, finding out about Herschel Gordon Lewis and 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 sending away for the book that one of his cameramen wrote about him and and in collecting everything. It took me years and years and years and and nowadays on the internet, the kids can just bam have it all in a weekend. They can yes, experience yeah. the whole thing. He wrote yeah. the most amazing article about that. I think he's dead on too. How how yeah, they may be able to experience it, but it's it's all very uh, top level. It's not it's not a real devotion. It's not a real true fetish, if you will. Yeah, it's and it's usually done in concert with, you know, the TV is on in the background and there's music playing and there's a yeah. But for me, I, I totally feel you when it comes to that. I mean, I remember just seeking out certain things far and wide, and there'd be certain people I would trade videotapes with. I mean, it was constantly making copies. I, I, I had two VCRs probably going making copies 24 hours a day because I was always making, that was the only way my currency was tapes that I would send out to other people and trade for things that I wanted. I couldn't afford to actually spend $40 on videos that were being sold by bootleggers where they'd send you these Xerox lists of what they had. There was no internet. You know, these are things that were advertised for in magazines. You had to send away for a catalog and then you had to get that. And then but I would I would trade things with people. So so um, 
so I, I, I remember what that struggle was like to try and, you know, you discover a filmmaker, you want to see all their movies, and, you know, a year later, you'd see, oh, John, there's a John Waters film festival, they're, they're doing their screen, the movies of John Waters at the Punch and Judy Theater in Detroit, I'm going to be at every one, you know, yeah. and now it's just, you know, two clicks, and you're watching Iron Man 2, and it just opened in theaters yesterday. Well, and I used you know, it's, to... It's, it's, it's so, so, yeah, so I, I, I certainly, you know... Um, now, there's some of that that I think with Patton sounds a little bit like, get off of my lawn, you know, because I know that there's a lot of things that, you know, I remember, you know, the older generation looking back on my generation as as being kind of like, you know, you're being an idiot. So, but I, I do worry, I do worry about like what, there's not as much of, a, of an appreciation. I think the media consumption has become like just, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's it's too easy. Yeah, to get popped up on media. So the super cool thing about Patton is that in his article, he even tips his cap to that. He said, you know, maybe I'm just old. Maybe I just want my memories to be stronger, more vivid than theirs are because it was harder for me. But even though all those things might be true, it's still true that they don't have to go through all the work. And, and he thinks that um, that fact is going to make all of those easy to acquire experiences sort of cave in on each other and create a, a newer and more, you know, diverse kind of uh, experience for these, these youngsters today. But I, I don't know. I, you know, it's, uh, he's, he's just really, really, really insightful in this, uh, in this article. So I can, I can tell what you say is true about him being such a great movie reviewer because his, his article was it was just extremely well thought out from every angle. It wasn't, it wasn't just a, a bleeding, you know, kind of a thing. But uh, so Pat, Pat and Oswald, if you're listening to this podcast, two guys would like to blow you. Just uh, <laughs> throwing that out there. You can reach me through my website at uh, thatchrisgore.com. You're listening to the Tom Gully Show. I am the Tom Gully Show, Translator 3000. Translating newsmakers for humans. Translating Sarah Palin. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm proud of her to uh, want to take on an advocacy role and, um, you know, just let other girls know that this is, it's not the most ideal situation, but certainly you make the most of it. And Bristle is a strong and bold young woman, and she is an amazing mom. And this little baby is very lucky to have her as a mama. He's going to be just fine, but very proud of Bristol. Translation. We're so very proud of our daughter taking an advocacy role. Just like she advocated putting fingernail marks in Levi Johnson's back. She's a strong, bold woman who talks about abstinence after riding her boyfriend like she was super glued to his crotch. Then, as soon as she possibly could, she ran off to Los Angeles to shake her ass in front of any camera with a red blinking light. We're very proud of Bristol, and we're all just waiting to see what moronic dole gets to pound her like chopped meat so she can have another crappy reality show. You know, just like her mom, this has been the Tom Gully Show Podcast Translator 3000. Good day.
shoot this film on Super 35. It's an art house clerk's meet soda burglar handheld black and white. Parker Posey plays a girl who date rapes John Favreau. In a script by Chris McQuarrie with a score by Cheryl Crow. There's cameos by Eric Stoltz, Buscemi, and Ed Burns. With Kytel Swank and Harry Knowles all taking their star turns. We made a mock.tv EPK, it shot in natural light. I want to screen at Sundance, work my way to tell you right. This is my indie movie. My big fat independent movie. We'll hit it big on Ain't It Cool, Film Threat, and IFC. Lionsgate and Artisan will fight for its release. This, of course, is the opening title song to my big fat independent movie, which I'm positive you can get by visiting thatchrisgore.com. Check out his podcast called Pod Crash with That Chris Gore, too. And look for Red, an amazing film with Lawrence Tierney that Chris directed. And an added bonus on that DVD is the short I worked on with Chris called Ouch, featuring the amazing acting talents of one of the best illustrators on the planet, Glenn Barr. Check him out too, okay? And now, part five of our rollicking interview with Chris Gore. Little known fact, Chris is the world's leading authority on the DeFranco family. Ask him about it if you see him at a convention or out in public. And thatchrisgore.com is the place. That's the nexus of all the Chris Gore stuff, right? It's just sort of my personal Tumblr. It's, uh, it's, it's really just, for me, it's just an archive um, of uh, stuff and a way for people to reach me directly and my Twitter feed. And if you've never heard of me and you Google me, that will be one of the first things that comes up. And uh, it's sort of your one-stop shop. You can find me on Facebook and Tumblr and just all that stuff from there. So We've talked a little bit about this, but you're on national cable TV every week, twice a week now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, it depends. I mean, last week I was on, I think, every episode of Attack of the Show, and I guest hosted. Wow. Uh, last week or the week before? Um, but, you know, no, I, I, my deal with G4 is um, I'm always on call. So I'm generally on twice a week. It's a DVD day. Sometimes we do two DVD days. We do another segment called Asian Underground, or I do junkets. So, like, last week was one of those weeks where I was on every day, and I just, you know, I'm, I am a uh, contributing correspondent, so to speak, with my expertise being in film, but that doesn't mean it's the only thing I do, but that's pretty much primarily what I do. Well, now that you're on TV all the time, what's, you know, I, I, I know from my other... I've been doing Attack of the Show now for six years. It's six years now in March and um, that I've been doing it, you know, every week. So it feels weird. It's the longest running job I've had in TV. And I, I'm really, I'm just really grateful for it because frankly, um, I really burned out on doing TV. I had kind of a bad experience working at IFC. Just they trying to make me into some brand and you're going to wear this and you're going to say this and... It just was like, no, I, if you're hiring me, why don't you just have me? If you want a generic host, just get someone who can read teleprompter and play traffic cop on a TV show. That's not what I do. Have you ever heard uh, the Jack Palance rant that he does during a voiceover se- session? No, I haven't heard that rant. Oh, my God. It's awesome. It's on YouTube. He just he basically says what you says. And, you know, after 45 fucking years, I'm doing the best I can do. And if you don't want my best, that's too fucking bad. I mean, he he basically says you hired Jack Palance and now you're trying to make Jack Palance into not Jack Palance. So if you're hiring Chris Gore, I guess the same thing's true. But 
Well, the whole thing is, is that like my job at G4, I never auditioned for it. I had done enough TV that the uh, executive producer at the time, uh, Gavin Purcell, just brought me in and interviewed me. And I asked, I had three demands. I said, look, I said, I want to be able to say whatever I want within reason. He said, okay, no problem. You know, can't swear, but you can say whatever you want. Um, your opinion is your opinion. I said, all right, I want to be able to wear whatever I want. Again, within reason, I'm not going to wear a shirt with some expletive on it or a completely naked girl unless I tape her nipples. And, <laughs> but I, and I've worn stuff that's close to that. And he's like, okay, yeah. The, the last thing I said, I said, I, I also want to be able to keep all the DVDs I review. And he said, no, nah, I can't let you do that. Can't let you keep all the DVDs. Why not? Uh, well, the reason was is that they have a library at G4 where they archive all this stuff. So if they need access to anything on DVD, or at least that's what I've been told. So when I say buy a DVD on DVDs, I'm going out and buying the DVD. I mean, normally, sometimes I'm trying to trade in DVDs as used to get credit so I can get it cheaper. But I buy the DVDs that I say I'm going to buy because I have to buy them with my own money. So, um, so do you, do you feel like you've, uh, pioneered the, the cult of DVD extra ism? I mean, I, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, like I personally produced the DVD for my own film, my big, better independent movie and tried to jam. I mean, there's so many Easter eggs and stuff in there. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, Anchor Bay said it was the most, it was the most and the most complex DVD that they'd ever produced up to this point. But I provided all the content and made it really simple and there's not anything that's over, like everything's pretty just these short little bits, but it's 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 meant for someone who's a real DVD connoisseur. But um, I mean, I, I I can't say, I mean, like, look, to me, Criterion really developed that. I mean, by creating that stuff. I just think that I've tried to make it popular with a certain audience. I do try to use my position to kind of leak stuff to people, whether it be some indie movie you should know about or an extra, or even just like, look, if you're not gonna listen to the commentary to this movie, you know, here's a little fact that you that you might find interesting. I like the DVD read is is uh, is in ten languages, and one of them is Hungarian. Was, right. was that something that they said we offer this, and most people? No, no, take no. It? I also personally produced that DVD. I did all that. I did all the coding. I mean, like when I'm sitting there talking about DVDs, I know DVDs because I've personally produced DVDs. Right. I mean, I, 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 you know, did my big fat. I did all the coding on the subtitles and went in and it's, it's all this coding you have to do in time code. It's sort of a pain. Yes, you have to sit with the movie with time code and mark when the subtitle should pop on and when it should pop off. And you just put these numbers in. I did that for all my DVDs. Uh, with Red, it was different. I just ran it through freetranslations.com. And I just looked at all the languages they had. And I thought, well, it'll be a goof. And I know some of it will be broken <laughs> in terms of the, the language. But... Uh, that was just that was just really sort of a goof on my part. It's hilarious. It's a short, but it's got you know translation in ten languages. But the question I was going to ask: You're on national cable TV now, and my other TV friends tell me that the level of sort of fame and adulation that you reach, even if you're on a you know a, a, a very small cable network, is through the roof. What is now your surefire can't miss way that you use when you meet a new girl? And you want to put your dude waiver in her baby place. Um, I'm on TV. That's pretty much. That's, <laughs> no, I don't. First of all, I never actually do that. Um, I, I never do that. In fact, I would be creeped out by a girl who only liked me because she saw me on TV because she doesn't even know who I am. I mean, she sees me be funny on TV for a few minutes and 
she thinks I'm going to be funny 24-7. And if she's asking that, she would be right. I'm actually really fun to hang out with, whether going to a party or whether going to Target or whether I'm going uh, what I call rock and roll shopping, which is this is this is my move is I like to because I think that guys are lazy. I'll take you to dinner and then we'll go to a movie and then I'll try to feel your boob. Um, that's lazy. I, my move is I say, look, uh, forget the movie, uh, forget dinner. Let's just maybe, you know what, we'll get some appetizers if we're hungry. Let's get drinks. And not only let's get drinks, let's get fucking plastered. <laughs> and then what we'll do is we're going to go to DSW, which I believe stands for Discount Shoe Warehouse. I it does. Discount, let's go to DSW. And you're going to try on shoes while we rock and roll shop. And we're just going to look around. Let's, let's see what we find. Maybe some hot pair of boots. Maybe there's some thigh-high leather something. Maybe there's some platform shoes, some stripper shoes, which are there. All, you'll always find those. So, you know, whatever. Just something sexy. And to me, the act of trying on those shoes, the act of shopping for a lot of women is like foreplay. So it's basically like I've gotten to second base uh, already on the first date, and we haven't even touched. So that to me is a fun date, and then I'm usually fun when we do it, and then and then the date ends. So that's that's my idea of like a good fun first date is to not um, do your typical. Not that I look. First of all, I love going to movies with a girl. Um, you know, it absolves you of having to talk to them the first time. But I mean, I feel like you can do that later. You can do that later when you run out of things to talk about. I think that the beginning just go against type, and so I'm not. I'm saying that every guy should do that because. It could. It, it, the weird thing is, is I can literally, I'll tell guys lines I've used on girls. They're not really lines. I mean, in the moment, I'll actually feel that way and say it. And then I'm like, oh, that was pretty funny. And then I'll tell this to a friend who's like, I'm going to do that to a girl. I'm like, I don't know. Because I just said it in the moment and I thought it was funny. And I one time uh, said to a girl, I said, I like spending time with you when my penis isn't in you. <laughs> and... It, to me, I was actually trying to be genuine and sweet because the, the point I was trying to make is I don't just like having sex with you. I like to be with you just hanging out and just talking and doing normal stuff. And to me, that's the mark of like you can be in a relationship with that person. You, know, you, can, right. you can go beyond just the, 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 the stuff involving you know, bumping generals. So, but now um, that you're on TV, you have to admit that like when I was, uh, on a radio station in a small town and then I went to a big, big, big town, my portfolio, my girl folio, if you will, got much, much, much larger. I like that term. And Um, I, I have to imagine that when you became on TV, especially on G4, that's got such an active base of people and kind of hip, kind of younger, that your chick well, yes, folio it definitely affords me the opportunity to date girls half my age. Although I should really date girls half plus seven, but that's the um, French. That's the French model, isn't it? That's the French model. They yes, got, you know, the French got a lot of things right. You know, they don't they don't calculate the success of a movie based on box office dollars because that over time um, with inflation those numbers are irrelevant. They calculate um, the number of people who've seen a movie. In fact, if you're a film critic and you go see a, a screening of a film for free in France, you are counted among the number of people who have seen a movie. Well, you know... So, um, so they, I love the way that the, the French have that right. That has to be a, a real mark of a movie, is how many people actually saw it. 
So people are paying different prices, whether they're in different cities where ticket prices are different, they're not insane like they are in LA, or whether you're seeing a movie in 3D as opposed to 2D, or whether you're seeing it in a second-run theater where it's going to be $3 as opposed to uh, $10. You know, so um, the French have it right. But when it comes to, you know, I don't do that move. I don't, to me, I would not like to be with a girl who liked me because that, but trust me, I just like to be myself. And me just being myself, I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 I do okay. I'm going to be honest with you. I do okay. There's guys that are way more famous than me that I can tell you from experience, having hung out with them and observed them, they've got no game when it comes to girls. They have yeah, no yeah. Well, game that's, that's game. what I'm getting at is that you're, you're not different, but you're just exposed to so many more people that know you so that, you know, statistically I mean, you're, like, you're, Nah, I, really, I, I mean, it only, uh, it uh, just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I would be a little creeped out if a girl was just like, in fact, that's happened before where I found out late, you know, I've been dating a girl a couple weeks. Then I find out she's a huge fan of G4, watches it. And not only that, she's an actress and has a hosting reel. And can she get me an interview with G4? Oh uh, yeah, that's just, creepy. Oh my God. No, that ended very quickly. You're listening to the Tom Gully show. And you will undoubtedly hear it many more times as the days go by. Now, just in case you're hazy on exactly what it means, let me give you a rough idea. It means that the cost of your clothes and food has gone up to a point where the family budget has become somewhat strained. Well, that's one of those things. And you can't be expected to increase the family income. But there are some things you can do to help. For instance, take better care of your clothes. When you come home from school, change into old clothes before you go out to play. Take care of your health, because doctors and medicines are expensive. Eat well, but don't waste. Take your full share, but eat all you take. Try not to ask mother and dad to buy you things you don't actually need. Make the best and the most of what you've got. Try to be more than usually careful of your school equipment, such as paper, pencils, and so forth. Make them last and go as far as you possibly can. Remember that all members of a family must pull together at a time like this. So do your share. Okay, let's just cut to the chase. I've known Chris Gore for around 25 years, and I have to say that I have been a Chris Gore fan since the second I laid eyes on my first copy of Film Threat. And over the years, I've been lucky enough to be able to help out now and then, but mostly I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of time with Chris and get to be around the non-stop, free-for-all communication circus that is Chris Gore. So it's only fitting that Chris is the guest of our first podcast, and that's why I'm beseeching you to check him out at thatchrisgore.com. I don't beseech very often, so when I do, I expect big results. You know, try beseeching out yourself sometime. Beseeching works for all of us. Well, I like how the French don't, uh, the French don't judge a war by, you know, anything but who won rather than who surrendered during the war. Right. So like World I, War I and two, they're, they're winners, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but you know, I you know, I don't really pull that move. I just I feel like I'm just I'm uh, a extremely honest person and about like what I think about stuff, how I feel about things. When I you know, I don't I I you know, it makes you sometimes it looks like I've got no social graces. I do dial myself back depending on who I'm talking. It depends on the situation. If I'm meeting 
uh, say, the mother of a girl I'm seeing. I would not be quite as, uh, you know, uh, outspoken. But, you know, I've just always been that way, and I think that I, I like to think that that's what girls are attracted to, not the TV persona, which is sort of a side of me. It's definitely an enhanced version of myself, but uh, the 24-7 version, um, you know, it's, it's a little different. So I tend to shy away from anyone that would like me for that reason. I, and I do appreciate, like, I love... I love it. I don't care. Someone comes up to me and what if they ask for a photo or an autograph or, you know, just want to shake my hand and say something nice. It's great. I mean, it's great to have, um, I mean, and also I'm at the small level of fame where it's not intrusive to my life. I mean, I'll be at the gas station. Someone will say something cooler at Target or my hair always gives me away. Uh, people <laughs> recognize the hair, but, but, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's great, but it's not so much that it's intrusive. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like to be someone like Angelina Jolie. She can't do normal things in public like anybody else. She would actually have to physically disguise herself in order to do that. And I actually, this last uh, Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, I wore a mask. But it, was, it didn't matter. People still were like, hey, because of my hair. Right. So I had to wear like a full, I don't want to wear a full face mask, but I know that, like, for example, like Sam Raimi, during Comic-Con, dressed as Zorro. And Pee-wee Pee -wee Herman was there also, Paul Rubens, and he dressed in a full, like, mask. But he was just there. They were there to shop and and um, check out the con. And that's the mm -hmm. only way that they could do it. They could not walk the floor being themselves. It would be impossible. I remember one time in the film threat offices uh, when uh, Larry Flynn owned it, that right. you had me talked to John Lazar for an hour in the outer offices. You had like scheduled a meeting with him or something. And you said, I've got to go take care of this stuff down the hallway. Can you talk to John Lazar? And I, uh, I spoke with John Lazar for an hour at your, at your behest. And it was, the <laughs> I apologize for that. You were running interference for me. I mean, he was one of those guys that was an extremely needy actor. Um, if I recall, and, and, and the thing is, that's a pretty consistent trait. I mean, it's really, uh, it's, it's refreshing when you meet um, actors that are comfortable in their own skin and that don't have those insecurities and that just don't, I really feel like it's, and I say this, I say this to my friends who are, aren't particularly good at dating. I say, look, a who gives a shit attitude is like a cologne that attracts vagina. <laughs> and also, a who gives a shit attitude is like, look, I, I am who I am. I don't care. These are my opinions on things, um, and that's it. Uh, you know, I think if you try to be something you're not, if you try to, you know, you try to just, if you're a phony trying to push an agenda you don't really believe in, or just like it's a, like eh, I can't be that. Yeah. So you just see a lot, a lot, of, a lot of needy actors that are just, they're really their angle is they're just looking for work and they're looking for a job and they need money. Um, and it's not the business is not everything that that they thought it was. So. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say on that, but I, I, if, if I may apologize, more than a decade too late. No, it was actually very, very interesting because, you know, even though he's Z-Man Barzell, he's Shakespearean trained and does a lot of Shakespeare, and I got to talk to him and stuff. But yeah, it was, it was kind of a... Um, you know, you, you especially have met a lot of people that have been in B movies or that were in a TV, you know, like the guy that played Ebb on Green Acres. If you met him and he kind of put on airs because he was Ebb from Green Acres, which I doubt that guy would have ever done. But if he did, you'd go, 
well, yeah, but you're ebb on Green Acres. I mean, way to go, but you're ebb on Green Acres. The, the, there was a little of that going on where I was like, well, yeah, you were you were in that movie and, 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 and congratulations. But it is 1994 now and uh, perhaps yeah, time uh, to move I mean, on. And to me, it's uh, I, I find that I, I find that kind of difficult. You know, when you meet some people that were heroes to me, you know, having been in so many films, and you really see how difficult the life of an actor is. It really is. It's it's a tough gig. So. Now, what is on that depressing note? <laughs> what is, what is, uh, you know, you've done the Festival Pass, the Ultimate Film Fanatic, the new movie show, Grindcore, my big fat independent movie, which we'll talk about more in a second. Uh, the song of which rocks like crazy, by the way. Um, I think I worked on some posters for that that you just recently put up on the Facebook page. Yes, I have to give you credit for uh, uh, coming up with these spoof posters. I mean, I know I wanted to do spoofs of the posters, but you crystallized that into uh, just an amazing campaign for the film. I'm trying if to I give, give... If I may give your your former career as an ad man a plug. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> what, what's next? I started thinking about some things that perhaps you could do bringing together all of the various attributes from your past career. And you know, a vagina flavored gum for lesbians, a signature line of French ticklers in the shapes I, of I don't, I don't famous I mean, independent film icons, or a combination. This is the best one, I think. A combination Blu-ray player Sibian that comes with a festival pass. That would be that would be the ultimate product. I mean, that is what's sort of weird about me in the marketing of me. That's why I kind of came up with this nerd liberty term because there's no because I I I, I, I like to. I do a lot of different types of things in my career, and I, and I, I'll, I'll kind of see something like, "Hey, I'm really passionate about this. I want to do the best thing that this is, which is that film festival book, which now in its fourth edition." But, but then I move on and want to do a next thing. And I'm most comfortable. I, I like to do television, but I really like to write books and um, make another film. I mean, right now I'm working on another, another movie, although I don't want to talk about it right now. It's still too soon. But um, my big fan independent movie was kind of my first foray into a feature film. And um, there'll be another one. I, I like to say that my goal is to one day make a good movie. So um, yeah. I, I know, I mean, like, I, I really, for, for what my Big Better Pennant movie is, I think it's great, but it really got, I think, unfairly attacked, mostly because of me. Um, I'm trying to transition my career from film critic to something else. And um, I, I think that other people that were, film critics around the time that I was doing that, um, there was maybe a little bit of professional jealousy. I mean, the movie wasn't as bad as they said it was. Um, it's not the greatest movie in the world, but I've seen you know, theatrically released movies from major studios that were way, way worse than what I did that got much better reviews. But, uh, I kind of thought that, to me, it seemed like a pretty natural extension of being you know, the person that you are. I mean, it, 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 it was a film that made fun of a film genre of some right. specific films. And it just seemed uh, like not that big of a leap uh, for me personally, but you know, I, I liked it and I did some posters for it. So nobody's going to listen to me. Um, no, no. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, I'm really proud of what, um, what I did with it. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, especially for the amount of money that we spent. It's like, okay, now I know how to do this. I know how to get into the right hands. I know, I know the process really my goal in doing it was to, uh, lay out um, uh, sort of a template for a process of making films that I can repeat with other movies. Um, so, uh, but my, I just, uh, 
you know, um, after it came out, I didn't initially jump right into making another movie. There were other projects that presented themselves. And I think I unwisely jumped into those projects rather than another film. And I think I would have been better served by doing that. But I'm working on a new movie now. And, and um, I hope to be able to talk to you about that one in the future. Hey, Matt, I actually got to take off. But we can make this a two-parter. I can come on uh, a future episode. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell people about Red and, and where they can get that. I think you do a couple more and then you do like the part two. Sounds so. good to me, man. Okay, great. Yeah, it's great catching up with you. Let's do this again. Okay. All right. Let's do it again like soon, like in the next month. Sounds good. I mean, even if we don't do much of a podcast. So I, that sounds great to me. You're a busy man. So you just tell me when and I'll, I'll jump on him. Okay. All right. Take care. I'll, right. I'll see you on Facebook. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, later. Bye. Well, that'll do it. Pod damn, this is entertainment. Almost 90 minutes? Well, future podcasts will be closer to an hour and edited down, but you don't put baby in a corner and you don't edit down Chris Gore. So please go to thetomgullyshow.com, follow me on Twitter at Atomic Palooka, like us at the Tom Gully Show on Facebook, and of course, you can always email me at tom at thetomgullyshow.com. Love the emails. Viewers of the Monday through Friday shows know they can send photos or audio files, and I will use them on the show, so send away. To view shows live, well, just go to justintv slash tomgully, but for everything else, it's the thetomgullyshow.com. And again, very special thanks to Chris Gore from G4's Attack of the Show and a great, great friend to have for appearing on the Tom Gully Show. Check him out at thatchrisgore.com. That's going to do it. I'm out of here. I got to go talk to some people. I will talk to you much later. Well, the bug can't lift a twig for a dog that's nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat or a coon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night While you hold your baby tight But he don't want you